Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 222 of the Piper's Dojo Audio Experience. And uh, in this episode, I'm going to repost an interview that I did with Big Rab of The Big Rab Show, who had me on for an interview sort of mainly focused on how we go about teaching beginners how to play the pipes. So uh, with no further ado, let's check out that interview and be sure to check out Big Rab um, I'm a big fan of his on Facebook. Just uh, go on Facebook and search for The Big Rab Show. He puts on uh, a great show all about piping stuff every single week. So uh, there you go. Now, without further ado, episode 222. So welcome to the podcast. This is a kind of a labor of love, but you're here for a very good reason. Welcome, Mr. Andrew Douglas of the Piper's Dojo. Thanks very much for having me. I, uh, I'm looking forward to having a good chat here. Yeah, well, the reason we're bringing you on is, well, number one, to congratulate you on your world title with Inverary. Thank you <laughs> Congratulations. Very much. Yeah, thank you. How was it? How did it feel to lift the big one? It felt pretty good. I, I started playing uh, in grade one at the Worlds in 2002 uh, with the SFU pipe band, and I, I actually yeah. played, I played in the band with Stuart Little and Steven, and uh, a few others as well, like um, Callum Beaumont was in the band for a, a few of the years I was in SFU as well. Mm. So, so we actually, a lot of us from the SFU band play in Inverary. But anyway, um, I joined the band in 2002, which is, of course, uh, the year after they had, uh, SFU had just won the Worlds. And then um, tragically, you know, uh, it was time for me to leave the band and sort of move on. Um, yeah. As a lot of folks know... Um, I was pipe major of the Oren Moore pipe band uh, from 2008 right. onward. So that was the next big thing mm -hmm. I wanted to do. But SFU, of course, won again in 2008. So I was, I was second yeah. place four times with SFU. Uh, and, then, wow. uh, and then, of course, uh, I played with Inverary <clears throat> last year and we were second. So it was a huge, uh, huge weight off my shoulders, I guess you could say, to, uh, to finally win. So it was a thrill, mm. for, a thrill to be sure. I'm sure. And if anything... Uh, the after party has become the stuff of legend now. <laughs> We've heard the celebrations lasted for near enough a few weeks. Yeah, well, I've, I I <laughs> flew home on Monday, thankfully, because uh, I don't uh, I don't have the stamina I don't have the stamina to do that kind of partying. <laughs> but and it's as a matter of fact, the night of is kind of interesting because you're so tired, you know. After and now it's two complete days, you know, four yeah. four runs and a lot of uh, standing and. Uh, walking around the green uh, for two straight days. It takes a toll on you, so there's really only so late you can go uh, the actual night of. So then, of course, there's, yeah. the, then there's the festivities on the Sunday and, um, and what happens. Down, so. down to the park bar for a few, yeah? Yeah, a few, although um, quite a few of the band went up to Inverary the day after as well to have a few, oh. have a few tunes up there. So, oh, uh, brilliant. So yeah, I managed to stay out of too much trouble, uh, which is good. <laughs> good, good. So, well, I'm bringing you here to talk about, well, this is number part one of the learning journey. Now, this was a topic that started on the podcast because I kind of realized that every piper and drummer has a different journey. Everyone seemed to start learning all sorts of weird and wonderful ways, but yet all essentially we end up at the same place. You know what I mean? So a lot of guys contacted the show and said, hey, we wanted to learn how to pipe, so we went to the Piper's Dojo. So I wanted to ask about your experience as a tutor and 
Yeah. How has your experience been of the learning journey for guys who come to you to learn? It's funny, you know, it's, it's a, that's a big question, I think, with a lot of, uh, you know, mm. with, you know, a pretty long story for me, really. I, I think I sort of accidentally discovered, you know, not only, not only did I really love to play the pipes and, and I was doing so uh, and continue to do so at a very high level, not the highest, you know, like I'd always like mm. to, uh, um, I'd always like to try and reach the next level of playing and, you know, <clears throat> there's always yeah. a little bit more you can go. I, I think even for the very, very best, that's probably true. Uh, but in mm. addition to playing at a really high level, which is something I was doing, I sort of accidentally discovered uh, that I had a real passion for uh, helping people figure out how to play the pipes, otherwise known as, as teaching. Uh, so, yeah. so the story more or less goes, I was doing some teaching, of course, because you know everybody who plays at a high level uh, tends to fall into some teaching roles. But I remember uh, my first year at SFU, Jack Lee um, put me, you know, invited me and then put me on the staff of the instructors at Piping Hot Summer Drummer, which is a really, oh, yes. it's a giant, uh, mm. it's a giant, uh, what would you call it? Um, like a summer school. Well, it is a summer school, but it's really not, yeah. it's, it's not what you think it is, right? It's, it's more like a bagpipe palooza way up on a mountain uh, and and it was just a thrill to be there there's literally hundreds of people there and the, and the way that Jack and Reed Maxwell put together the school um, it's just an amazing experience but anyway uh, I was probably 17 years old at the time and Jack put me you know as a full-time member of staff and yeah. uh, and I just had a blast um, you know we'd teach classes all day of 10 or so people and people had <clears throat> great questions about how to get better at this crazy instrument. And, and I think, you know, the responses that I started to come up with to folks, um, I, you know, they were extremely receptive to it because I, I have a different way of approaching the instrument than, um, than the typical bagpipe teacher, I think. Uh, mm. In some ways, especially when I was younger, although it hasn't changed a whole lot, but especially when I was younger, a lot of my ideas were controversial and, and you know, and the delivery was controversial as well. Yeah. Um, I made a lot of people, uh, a lot of poor souls cry and stuff over the years. Just, just, be, <laughs> you know, just cause I'm so, I'm so passionate and like down the line and, um, and it's different. It's very, very different from how other people approach it. Uh, but anyway, uh, the vast majority of the response was very positive. And so, mm. you know, and then I just, I sort of got hooked on it and then, you know, as life carried on, you know, it, it started to become clear that it's pretty much all I really wanted to do, you know, uh, is play bagpipes, but then also kind of explore uh, how I teach them more. So, you know, uh, to keep a long story a little shorter, you know, Dojo University is sort of, um, you know, that's been the natural progression of what I do. Um, yeah. You know, I do some teaching of individuals, but honestly, it's very limited. Um, I, I instead like, you know, I really enjoy the group seminar format, which is what we yeah. do, which is what we do a lot of. Um, and then I also enjoy distilling information into chunks that people can use because that's the type of learner that I am, right? I, um, mm. I, I took lessons for years and years with great uh, bagpipe teachers. Um, and... I can't understate or I can't overstate or, you know, 
yeah. how much these folks have done for me, like Donald Lindsay and Jim McGillivray and Jack Lee, some of my, yes. you know, big, uh, big, big influences. Now, obviously, mm. they had a huge impact on my playing. But, you know, one of the things that I think for me was uh, probably the greatest amplifier of what I was able to do is how you take that information away and process it on your own and fit it into your own thought process and how things work. Um, and then, yeah. and then you take that and, and then you try to use these tools to forge better and better music. Right. Oh uh, yeah. And that's mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, and that's the essence of it. And that's what I'm trying to get folks to do at all levels. Um, as mm. a, as a teacher, it's like, let me give you, you know, let me give you the concepts and the ideas behind the fundamentals and let's see what you can do, you know, with mm. that information. Um, That's interesting, yeah. So say an absolute beginner who has never lifted the chanter before in their life, where should they start? Uh, it's an interesting question. I, you know, um, I think they should start with, uh, you know, uh, playing a full set of bagpipes. Probably. Really? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Straight I mean, onto the pipes. Yeah. And like, now listen, <clears throat> listen, not a whole lot's going to happen there. Right. But uh, <laughs> to get somebody to play like maybe a low A on the bagpipes and, and, you know, mm. the, the bagpipe of course would have to be extremely well set up to be very easy to operate. But yeah. like, you know, I think, I think one of the big mistakes people make as teachers is that uh, someone comes to you and they say, I want to learn how to play bagpipes. And then you stick a practice chanter in their hand, which really doesn't have a whole lot to do with the sound of the pipes and the music of the pipes at, at that yeah. time, right? Like you need to sort of make those connections and you need to mm -hmm. sort of feel that excitement. Um, yeah, you, need that. you need that, I think. And so we wouldn't spend very long on the full pipes, but, but it would kind of be like, right, well, you know, uh, first of all, let's talk about how the pipes work. And this is eventually what we're going to do. And then... They could feel yeah. they could feel how it works. Hopefully, have a tiny bit of success, like maybe get a note to sound for a few seconds, and then yeah. you know, and then from there, it's like obviously to try to learn on this instrument is going to be uh, too much. So that's why um, you know that's why we use the practice chanter, and that's going to be yeah. phase one. So we're going to spend several months on the practice chanter, um, so that uh, so that we have something to transfer over to the pipes because that's a whole different skill in itself, right? So it is, yeah. So if I'm going to start a complete <clears throat> beginner, you know, I think that's probably the best, you know, that's probably the best thing to do. But I think your mm. question is, you know, so once we're at the practice chanter stage, uh, yeah. you know, what's the best thing to do? And, and uh, we think the best thing to do is to start exploring um, how to navigate the scale and how to play with... Uh, how to play basic, basic rhythms uh, oh. accurately. Um, that's phase one. So uh, we spend a lot of time, you know, obviously we learn the scale, but we also learn the basic idea behind a quarter note at the same time. So, um, oh, yes. Right? Because those are the two things, right? You cannot have, mm. uh, you cannot have melody uh, without rhythm, right? Yeah. So the, fir yeah. the first step is to bring those two things together. Um, and so we spend a lot of time doing that. We do a lot of, um, you know, we do a lot of this. Now, like, uh, because as, as, as pipers, those of us who are listening who are already pipers, we know 
ultimately we can't really use our tongue to separate notes on the full pipes. <laughs> but that's what I was doing there. Yeah. But it's, it's more important to say, okay, here are the notes of the scale. Let's make uh -huh. sure we're going from note to note cleanly, obviously with no crossing noises, but also that we're playing with uh, real rhythmic accuracy with those rhythms. So we usually, yeah. we usually turn on a metronome for folks and we say, all right, well, quarter notes start on the click of every metronome. Um, and we try to like, you know, we try to get that. Yeah, yeah. Um, we try to get that happening at an early stage. What, one yeah. of the things that happens uh, is that rhythm is neglected in a, you know, for, yeah. a, for a lot of learners until much too late uh, in the process. And then it's very hard to correct rhythmic bad habits later. So, yeah. so that's so, phase one. Speaking of bad habits then, Andrew, you're bound to have seen your fair share of pipers coming to the Dojo University for lessons, and they bring with them a world of bad habits. Have you any tips for anyone trying to overcome any habits? Sure. Uh, you know, you've got you know, you to get to work on them. I, I, think, I, I think the biggest tip or the biggest pitfall or the biggest challenge people face is that they, they fall in love with, with um, ideas um, yeah. that are both not real and, uh, <laughs> and if they are real, they're way over their heads. Like, for example, like, I can't tell you how many people, you know, let's say, come, come onto the dojo and the thing that they're focused on the most is like, I'm, I'm trying to bring out more light and shade out of my stress bay. Right, right? yeah. Um, and that's what they're saying to me, but what I'm hearing is, um, you know, there's 27 crossing noises in the first part. Um, none of the none of the rhythms are being played accurately to the beat. Um, there's tons of problems with the grace notes, and yeah. you know, and frankly, all of the embellishments are being played poorly. So oh. light and shade, okay, and these super subtle things that it's true, you know, it's true for a, an advanced player. That's going to take you, you know, light and shade is going to take you from 95 percent to a hundred maybe. Yeah. Okay. But you know, most folks as by most, I mean, 99 out of a hundred players in the world, um, mm -hmm. still have a lot of work to do on zero to 95%. Um, <laughs> and, and those are the things. And, and what happens is, you know, and, and these are romantic ideas. Like, of course we all want to play with feeling and we want to play with light and shade and we want to play uh, strong, weak, medium, weak. We want to do all yeah. this stuff really, really well. You know, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like taking supplements if you work out, you know, if you lift weights, <laughs> like, like in some yeah. cases, in some cases, supplements are like, are, are an interesting avenue. I'm sure for some athletes who have done all the fundamentals, right. And then, yeah. and, and then suddenly they say, oh, okay, if, if I, you know, if I up my vitamin D plus uh, <laughs> by 3% a day, then I can get, you know, 2% better yeah. performance. Sure. Right. And it's the same with pipers. We could focus on strong week, medium week to take your mm -hmm. performance from second place in the professional grade to first place in the professional grade. But yeah, but we're, the, the vast majority of people are not in the professional grade vast majority of people are what we would call grade four or grade three mm -hmm. in North America. Um, and, yeah. and the vast majority of people are at that level. What do you need to do to get from grade four to grade three? And it has nothing to do with um, light and shade. I promise. No, you. that's it. It's all about execution of the gym and playing it correctly. 
really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really is. It's the same if you play golf, right? You know, you don't need to buy a new $500 driver, right? It's <laughs> not... you're still going to swing it wrong. Yeah. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> and so it, what, would a, what would an expert golf instructor tell you? He's going to tell you, you need to work on the fundamentals of your swing and yeah. other key fundamentals of the game, not whether or not you can get an extra six yards out of your drive uh, by <laughs> buying a $500 driver. That's an excellent example. Yeah, right. it, it really is. And it really is. And, and the, you know, the irony, of course, is uh, in golf, I don't know if this analogy carries over, but by the time mm. you get good enough that that extra six yards actually does matter, uh, the companies that make the drivers are going to give them to you because you'll be that good, right? Ah, there, there you go, you see? Yeah. No, so that, that brings me on to my next question then. For beginners, I know a lot of guys who have recently only just started piping and they have spent thousands of pounds on bagpipes. And I'm thinking, yeah. why would you spend five grand on a set of bagpipes and you only learned about three months ago? Whenever you're talking about equipment and everything, you know, is it sometimes you jump in at the highest level? Is that wrong? I think it depends, right? Like, I think if you're on a tight budget, you could do a lot on a relatively tight budget. Um, yeah. And, and we try to stress that to folks, right? Um, we, we often recommend, and, and I'm not being paid to say this or anything, but, you know, we'll often recommend McCallum or Nail bagpipes to our beginners because we feel yeah. like those are really reliable instruments um, mm -hmm. And, and they, they're also quite affordable on the lower end of the spectrum. And one of the big, you know, and one of the big things you stress to somebody who doesn't uh, necessarily know is that mm -hmm. the base model of Nail or McCallum has, for all, you know, for all intents and purposes, right, mm -hmm. the exact same quality of sound that you would get with their top of the line model. In general, yeah. in general um, they're designed the same way. Now, there are exceptions to that rule, right? Like McC yeah. McCallum has a few different lines of, of pipes now that they make, yeah. uh, most of which, you know, well, all of which are excellent from what I've seen. Um, mm. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if you buy a 10,000 pound instrument from Nail, right? If, mm -hmm. if you get like the, t the best quality wood in that case, maybe, I guess. But in general, right, you could buy a very affordable instrument um, and use that instrument to get a really great quality of sound. Um, yeah, you know, I'm a perfect example. I can't take care of nice things. So I have, <laughs> you know, I have very middle of the road, you know, uh, like, like the nail, I have a set of nails and a set of McCallums and they're just like middle of the road uh, yeah. pipes and, and we'll like, you know, as you know, I just won a, in, in the world pipe band championships in grade one with just a go. normal set with just a normal set of nails, right? Yeah. Um, and so when it comes to equipment, what you want to do is you want to use simple equipment um, that helps you along your journey of learning the fundamentals. And that's it. So yeah. um, so in general, right, if I were to start a beginner or if, if I had a beginner that was ready to get a set of bagpipes, I would probably mm -hmm. put them on. You know, this is just what I would do. Uh, yeah. And again and again, none of these companies endorse me in any way. Uh, but I would just yeah. say, I would, I would, I would probably recommend McCallum's or Nails. I mm -hmm. put, I would put them on a. I love the Ganaway standard pipe bag. Yeah, it's a yeah. great pipe bag for beginners. Uh, and then, mm. and then some Easy Drones, a simple water trap, and then, um, yeah. and then you know, 
a Ch- generally speaking, a Chesney Reed. I feel like, you know, because yeah. those are the materials for me, those are the materials mm-hmm. that, that allow us to foc- on, focus on learning the fundamentals of the instrument the best. Yeah, um, rather than having to deal with a pile of maintenance, it's something that will sure. get you up and running. It's very steady. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, uh, people, ask, people ask all the time, like one of the most common questions is, you know, uh, what kind of tone enhancers should I get? Um, and, and my answer is <laughs> yeah. always, you know, my answer is always, we don't want tone enhancers. It's not that mm-hmm. they don't necessarily possibly serve a purpose for some players, but when mm-hmm. we're learning the instrument, we want to learn the instrument, right? Yeah. As soon as you put a tone enhancer in there, or another good example is a moisture control system, which I do mm-hmm. use, right? As a P-Rock player, I use a moisture control system. Uh, but that's an advanced like application that I need that for. If I'm yeah. if I'm a beginner learning the pipes, right? I want a, the simplest possible setup that teaches me the fundamentals of the instrument. One of yeah. the things you can never learn when you have a moisture control system is you can never learn the true effects of moisture on your instrument. No, yeah, that's true. Never thought of it that way. Uh, and so yeah. you're never really going to learn what that system is actually for unless you learn without that system. Yeah, uh, and so, that's true. you know, it's, it's like a weird paradox, right? <laughs> um, and, and I see a lot yeah. of bands, like I teach band workshops often, mm-hmm. uh, and I hardly ever get hired back because most of the bands have some sort of bizarre combination of contraptions that they use, oh. uh, you know, and, and yeah. my recommendation is always, you know, stick to a simple hide bag with a simple water trap. So that you can learn the basics uh, and understand all these concepts. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense to me. So can I ask you then about your own personal learning journey? Uh, We talked about bringing other beginners in, but I wanted to know about yourself as a beginner. How did you get started off? Uh, For me, it was uh, was pretty simple, really. Uh, My dad... Uh, my dad plays the pipes. Um, and so, you know, when I would listen to him play, it was something that I really wanted to do. And so yeah. uh, he took me through the Green Book, the College of Piping Tutor, um, yes. uh, lesson by lesson with me. And uh, um, it's just something that I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, fortunately for me, like my dad is not a famous piper, but he he does have excellent technique and he has a really good sense of how to bring the music out of the instrument. So yeah. I developed a really strong foundation of skills. Mm. And then from there, um, from there, my dad and I got involved in a local band um, who, who had Donald Lindsay come in. Donald Lindsay is a very famous uh, piping yeah. teacher in, in North America, right? But so, mm-hmm. so I was then just connected to Donald right there from a very young age. So, and then Donald, yeah. Donald sort of took me uh, you know, I would go to him for lessons and he sort of got me going on the solo scene and really sort of, you know, develop, yeah. developing the finer points. Um, and then, and then Donald, of course, has his famous Invermark summer school that runs mm-hmm. every year. So when I started to go to his summer school, that's when I met Jim McGilvery. Ultimately, I met Jack Lee um, and, you know, and a bunch of other names. I, I, I got the opportunity to study with Alistair Gillis for probably, uh, wow. probably ten, yeah. 10 summers, probably at least. So I got wow, to hang out, yeah. got to hang out with Alistair for years and, uh, you know, <laughs> Willie McCallum, Angus McCall, uh, Andrew Wright, yeah. the famous, uh, P-Rock player, Andrew Wright as well yes. comes to mind. Um, 
and just the names are endless. And that's the magic of Donald, mm. right? Donald's got all these connections. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, the rest is history, I guess you could say, really. Um, mm-hmm. So my career just sort of took shape from there. Cool. Can I just ask, this is a very interesting question, and I'm finding that everyone's answer is different. What was the first ever tune you learned how to play? Um, Scott's Wahey. Uh, really? The, Scott's Wahey? Yeah, in the green book. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there were a couple other tunes, like the, the other tune that was in there was a tune called Robin Adair. Is that a common tune over there? Sounds familiar. It goes I, like I can't this. think how it goes. Just goes up the scale. <laughs> so that was like, you know, if that wasn't the first tune, it was the second tune. Because it's like, yeah. it's just a very simple progression that goes up the scale. Uh, it's really not, yeah. it's really not a common tune that I've heard a lot. Uh, but, uh-huh. uh, but it kind of is in our, like, in the upstate New York pipe band scene, you know, like most of the bands. Right. Um, and there so, you go. Um, so have you I have encountered a lot of players who are actually self-taught and have learned a lot of tunes by ear now I'm talking big tunes like Pumpkin's Fancy Gordon Duncan's Belly Dancer you know big big tunes yeah is is that dangerous whenever people are learning it's good it's it's a double-edged sword there um, I, th- I think to have that enthusiasm and, and to be searching mm. searching for how to play cool music on the bagpipes I think that's a great thing um, yeah. But, you know, when you decide to undertake any mastery oriented skill um, to do so on your own, right, you're just you're mm. putting a ceiling on uh, on how far you can go with that. So it's, it's a bit of an ironic problem, right? Because um, yeah. you love the pipes. That's why you're teaching yourself how to play them. But but like common sense tells you this mm. is a, this is a mastery oriented skill. So unless I learn the actual fundamentals, um, there's going to be um, there's going to be a wall in my way that's going to stop me at some point Um, yeah it's the same and it's the same with anything right Um, any any skill Um, Mm. you you need coaching and guidance you don't necessarily need lessons but you need guidance right like a lot of people uh, a lot of people become great players just by playing in the pipe band system and they never get private lessons Um, a lot of people only get private lessons and never play in a band um, you know, and then some people, uh, some people sort of start where you're saying, and, uh, you mm. know, on our website, we have members that sort of start there and then they're able to use the materials that they find and, and continue to teach themselves. But, but mm. like with, with, uh, you know, other guidance and influence. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So you said earlier that you're a Peabrook player. Um, do you recommend that most pipers, would learn Peabrook? Do you think it's necessary to be a good piper to learn Peabrook? It depends how you it depends how you define piping, right? Mm. Uh, for sure. Yeah. I, I think you know uh, if if you're interested in becoming a, a solo piper, um, yeah. which uh, which I always was. I loved competing, um, and I knew I couldn't win. Uh, I couldn't win in, unless uh, Peabrock was also incorporated in my playing. Uh, but if, yeah. you're, if you're interested in being a great solo piper, then of course you want to integrate Peabrock playing um, as early as you can into the learning process. Um, yeah. However, if you're a pipe band player, mm-hmm. there's no need uh, to learn Peabrock. Uh, 
It could still be helpful though, yeah. right? Like there's, well, a, yeah. there's a lot of things P-Rock can teach you as a musician that you're not going to get from standard pipe band repertoire. Um, mm -hmm. And that's just, that's just a fact. But, and, you know, and it's, in some ways it's a shame that some people are so turned off by it. Um, it's one of those things I, I think they're mostly just turned off by it because, you know, they're afraid of it a little bit probably. I think that's it. Yeah, like yeah. whenever you watch the glymphitic, a lot of people don't understand really what's happening, and yeah. I think that's what it is, you know. And there is something happening there, and and it's not uh, it's not instantly appealing, uh, yeah. But it's a it's an amazing art form, and it's a, I would consider it a branch of piping, you know. So so if that's mm. if uh, and uh, it's a big part of being a solo bagpiper. Um, yeah. If you're in pipe bands, it's it, it's only going to be something of a little bit of curiosity. It would be the same as it would, you know, it would be the same as saying like, you know, should you, you know, asking a Breton piper, should everybody learn Breton music, you know? Um, yeah. And the answer is not necessarily, but obviously it's like, a, it's a great branch of the art form, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. it. Exactly. Um, so, I'm not going to keep you for much longer. I have bothered you for long enough on the podcast, but tell us a bit about the dojo. How did it all get started online? Um, it's a good question, really. I, I mean, it was just a brainstorm. Uh, basically, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it was just a brainstorm. And basically, the idea was Skype lessons at the time. So this would have been six or seven years ago, probably Skype lessons at the time are like the big thing. Yeah. Uh, but, but I'm not much of a one-on-one -on -one teacher. I mean, I, I don't dislike it, but it's not, you know, it's not leveraging what I do the best way. And so, yeah. you know, so then the idea just kind of like, uh, what if we could teach larger groups of people using the internet and, you know, then you find yeah. a good, get some good webinar software and you try that. And, um, and it, it's, it fits my skill set as well. I'm not, I'm not a computer mm. programmer, but I'm pretty good with computers and uh, some mm. of that basic logic. And so it just all sort of came together gradually. Um, and it's basically uh, an extension of what I like to do um, in, in a way that's as scalable as, as I can make it. Um, because sure. because I, this is how I make my living as well. So the more, the more folks we can help, um, the more it helps the, uh, the bottom line a bit as well. So, uh, that's it. I'm just never going to so, do that. You know, I think a lot of people who teach bagpipes come to that conclusion. You're just never going to, you know, if there's only, let's say 10 hours, you could possibly work per day. Um, yeah. it's only 50 hours a week. And so, yeah, you can make a living that way, but you're never going to, um, or there's going to be that ceiling where you can't, scale anymore yeah not, not progress any further yeah yeah not, yeah not to mention if you could teach 50 hours a week you'd probably start to go crazy <laughs> um, i'm sure yeah so before i completely let you away uh can you tell us of any one particular story where you were teaching someone and you yeah you find it particularly hilarious <laughs> or anything like that oh man there's like uh there's <laughs> I don't know. Uh, there's so many things that are um, that are interesting, you know. Like, there's the. There, I think everybody at one point in their career um, forgets to take the cork out of their chanter stock, and tr then puts their chanter in and crushes the reed. Oh yeah. I think yeah. we've all done that. I've probably done that. Like <laughs> I've probably done that like ten times. But yeah, like it's always interesting when 
it's always interesting when one of your students is going to do that. Um, and uh, I think it's always hilarious. It always happens at an inopportune time, right? Yeah, and then but, they have to do the walk of shame and here's my read. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and people try to get out of it in all sorts of interesting ways. Uh, uh, like uh, they'll just go find another read that they've got in their pipe box and just put it in. And then, they'll, yeah. you know, because this happened a lot when I teach bands, so they'll try and get away with it. But if they put the read in and, and it's either like too hard for them or it's too easy. And it's like, wait, this isn't your read, is it? Um, and, uh, and then I suppose, in a, you know, a, f a final funny story um, is that yeah. when I first joined the SFU pipe band as a super young guy um, and uh, people didn't know what to make of me yet. And it was it was at the first big concert that I was playing in with the band at the Vogue Theater in Vancouver mm. and Andrew Bonar and Dave Hicks. Uh, they had a smashed up reed that they uh, they just had one laying around. So yeah. while I was out of the room, they actually took my band reed out of the chanter and put this reed in and oh, put it put no. it back in my pipes. So uh, <laughs> so I struck up, and of course, like nothing happened. I think I handled myself well, though. You know, like I just <laughs> I took the reed out and I looked at it, and I knew I didn't snap that reed. So I looked around, you know, for any wise guys. So sure enough, they were pulling a little prank on me. Excellent. There you go. But uh, So can have you got any points of contact then for the guys listening to the podcast right now? Where can they go to check you out? Well, you can check us out um, at Piper's Dojo, basically. Any, uh, any social platform like Facebook. Um, Facebook.com slash Piper's Dojo is great. Uh, Piper'sDojo.com. Um, and then there's Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and all that is all Piper's Dojo. And we try to be... Uh, we try to uh, be as sociable as we can with everybody on the internet. So reach out to us and um, yeah, check our websites out if you're interested. Even if you already have a teacher, DojoU is a great way to supplement the learning process. Um, so definitely check it out. We've got a lot of good free uh, material there as well for folks. Definitely, yeah. And with me being a drummer, uh, is there any kind of drumming material available? We've dabbled in the drumming, but uh, ultimately, uh, ultimately, we've given up. Uh, just not, not, <laughs> not for any reason other than it's just not in our wheelhouse. So, you know, um, yeah. as much as I would love to do drumming on the site, um, until mm. I find somebody that, that really has a drumming vision um, that really integrates well with the business, uh, you know, we, yeah. we, we won't be doing that, I don't think. Uh, but there's lots of great drumming instruction you can find on the internet, of course, as well. And oh, we, yeah. And we can always help point folks in the right direction, but, you know. There you go. You've got to start your drumming tutorial site. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't lifted the sticks in years. <laughs> there but, you go. Hey, it's food, a fresh food. view, a fresh take. You know? There you go. Food for thought. Andrew, Absolutely. thanks a million for chatting to us on the podcast, mate, and best of luck coming into the incoming season. Super. I'm thrilled to do it, and thanks very much for having me. Thank you.